Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt with Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke. Here with the usual suspects, Derek and Perry. What's going on, fellas? Not a whole lot, dude. Excited for this uh, this episode, man. How you doing, Perry? Doing good, brother. Life's been hectic, um, as you all well know, but there's nothing new there. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm stoked for this episode. Um, been looking forward to it for a long time, so glad we finally got to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to welcome Jack Donovan. Uh, he's the author of The Way of Men, Becoming a Barbarian, More Complete Beast, and several other works. Welcome, Jack. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we're, we're really excited about this. I, I found Way of Men, hell, I think it was back in high school. Um, and it was one of those books that I read and just like really resonated. I bought it, actually sent it to Perry. He's my cousin and his brother gave it to my little brother. And it's one of those books I just kind of pass around. So really excited awesome. for this opportunity. But yeah, when I saw the the post and you're talking about it's the 10 year anniversary, it's kind of crazy to, to think it's been that long, but you know, it's, it's, it's cool and it's, it's fitting. I think in today's time it's aged very well and it kind of resonates with a lot of males uh, that, that pick it up and take a, For take sure. a read. So, you know, a question that I had is in kind of rereading it and revisiting it uh, since the, the, the last time I read it was, you know, what led you um, and what in your background did you growing up and what shaped you to, to feel that, to write this book, to take it from your opinions and your thoughts to like put pen to paper and think like, this is a message I need to share and let folks know about. Uh, you know, I just, I mean, I went to art school. Uh, you know, I, this is not, uh, the book, I shouldn't have been the person that wrote that book. Uh, but, uh, I went to art school and then, uh, uh, probably hated a lot of these things. Uh, you know, hated Jack London, thought it was stupid. You know, all the stuff that they made me read in school and whatever. And, uh, went to New York city and, uh, then around my early thirties, I just kind of looked at some things again. I read Jack London's The Sea Wolf, and I was like, "Oh, I really missed this. There's something really good in here, and there's something I'm missing generally." And so I went back in kind of a long journey of of figuring out what that was, and I started to talk really positively about masculinity, um, and write about it and so forth. And one of the criticisms I got early on was that I wasn't describing it very well. Like I couldn't define masculinity. I was just saying a bunch of nice things, which is actually what most guys do. They they're like, "Oh, well, masculinity. You should act like a man and stuff." And like, and then they can't really articulate what that means. And uh, so I was like, well, that's my project then. I guess I'm going to articulate, try to articulate what that means. And uh, so, you know, I was you know, writing for a lot of different, uh, you know, things, you know, blogs and so forth at the time um, that were, you know, about masculinity and so forth. And so I just put this together. And while I was a delivery truck driver and, uh, then uh, released it and then kind of, you know, it's, it's, uh, it took roots. I mean, I obviously I worked really hard on it when I went back and tried to, you know, put it together to publish the uh, 10th anniversary hardcover. Um, I wrote it afterward. And so I went back through it and I had to reformat everything and I do all that stuff myself. 
So I'm like, well, I, I had a lot of citations in here. I did a lot of work on this. <laughs> so uh, I was kind of, I was like, wow, I'm impressed with like whatever 35 year old me. Uh, you know, and so, uh, it, cause I did that on the weekends. Like now this is my job, but like, uh, I did that on the weekends while I was working. So, um, uh, you know, I think, I think I did a good job. I mean, like I said, if it would have been a few years later, someone else would have written that book, but no one else was doing that at that time. So it was, you it, it just, well, I'll do it. Uh, so, so I, I did it and it worked out. Uh, so it's been, and I think, and it, like you said, it's aged well and, uh, it's if anything, a lot of the things I've said are more right verging on prophetic uh, at this point. Uh, you know, the world is in a way different place than it was then. And, uh, you know, so that's I mean, it's good and bad. It's it's mostly bad. But, uh, you know, it's at least I, my book's still relevant. So that's nice. At what point did you feel that you know, your opinion was actually worth putting out there? Because I know like in today's era of of Twitter and Facebook and all these social medias, like you can throw out your opinion whenever the hell you want. Like at what point did you think like that I've, I've come up with something that's worth putting out to the masses? Well, I did a lot of work on, I mean, cause that, that is the lore of social media is that whatever I'm feeling in this five minutes is totally valid and very important. And I should at the president, you know, and uh, everyone should know uh, whatever my feelings are right now. But I mean, I, that wasn't, we weren't quite there yet. Um, when I wrote the way of men and, you know, I, you know, I actually tried to write a book like everybody else writes a book. Uh, you know, it, the first part of it actually is research on feminism. And I cut that out and it's always been a free, um, ebook that I released at the same time called no man's land. And that was where I did everything that all the authors do where they're like, well, so-and-so in the New York times said this and so-and-so in, in, uh, you know, this magazine said this and they go back and forth and formulate opinion and opinion. And, uh, so I just, I mean, I guess I've always thought that, you know, I mean, everybody thinks they're right, right. about, <laughs> about whatever they believe. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I've always been interested in, uh, sex and gender and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, so, you know, I just did the best I could at the time. I think you did a damn good job. Thank you. It's been really cool to have guys who have actually done perimeter work. I mean, I've talked, you know, I've met over the years. I've had all these guys who like read my book in country or their contractors or they, you know, like all you know, special forces guys. And, and uh, it's been really cool to have uh, those guys reach out to me and, and uh, be like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty much what. You, you got it, <laughs> you know, so that's, that, that's pretty cool. Cause I mean, like I said, I was just a delivery truck driver, you know, who went to art school and, uh, yeah, I was just like, well, let me try and figure out this, this out in the best way that I can. Yeah. It was, it was, I read it just as I got in the army. So it came out in 2012 was when I was enlisted and like finding it then and, and, and seeing how well it matched up with exactly what was going on there. Like it, it kind of blew my mind. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I misspoke earlier. It was actually, I was finishing college, getting ready to commission 2012. I'm bad at math, but um, same exact thing. You know, I read, I picked it up, I read it, and I was like, man, this is this is what we have kind of in the military. And then it's also something that I come from a pretty large family, very tight knit family, and so we kind of have a little bit. Of, and we're from rural Appalachia, so we kind of have a little bit of that tribalism built into the family group. And so that really resonated with me as well. And it's just like you know the the way of the gang and set the perimeter and 
And then when you boil it down to the relationships and then how we can only form so many rela- you know, relationships with so many different people, that was something that I've tied back into how I've built this business with as we've, we've grown our group and our team. And I was, it was funny, I was flipping through the book just now and I was reading through the last little bit on how to form the gang. And I was talking to these two and I was like, you guys can probably see a little bit of influence in how I've shaped this company because you know, we're not a gang of marauders or, you know, any, anything like that, but we're a gang of people of, with the same value system, right? We care about a lot of things that are, would be, unfortunately, are kind of cons- considered old school or traditional, like honor and integrity and that sort of thing, being strong, strength, knowing where our food comes from, like these these tenets that are very important. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head on, awesome. with that one. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the way that societies have always been organized, I mean, the smallest group has always kind of functioned that way. And uh, you know, that's why it's, I was looking for something when I wrote that was, that was always true. And you know, what's, what have we all been doing for hundreds of thousands of years? Like what's the same? And I kind of went back to that, my most recent book, fire in the dark, uh, kind of went back to that perimeter setting and talked about myth from the same perspective. Like what, why are our, so are our, many of our myths the same? Well, it's cause we've been doing the same damn things, you know, over and over again. So we create the myths that, line up with the things that we need from each other and the things that, uh, you know, while we're, you know, making that fire and creating that perimeter of safety and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I've never thought about, and you bring up uh, pretty early on in the way of men is, you know, we developed over, over millions of years and, and we had these survival instincts and it's only been in the last couple hundred where we've had these, these comforts and we're more wired to act like, and we're in prehistoric times than, than we are in this modern age because we haven't adapted to that. And and we're just still hardwired that way. And I, I'd never thought about it that way until I, until I read that. And I was like, that's a, an amazing point of why we have these tribes, why you, why you gravitate to these people that are like you. Um, and it's just a different way of looking at things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, there was a lot of evolutionary psychology that was influencing people at the time that I wrote that one of my favorite books from that period uh, was from before that uh, was Steven Pinker's the blank slate. Now he kind of sold out and became like establishment figure after that. But at the time he wrote a book about, you know, human nature and everybody, there, there was a big thing in academia where everybody thought that there was no such thing as human nature and we could just reprogram people. And that's influenced so much of foolishness that's been <laughs> foisted on in society. Like, Oh, we can just start from zero. And uh, start from scratch with people, and and there's no nature there. Well, that's not true, and they kind of figured out. And that that was one of the big books. And he's uh, you know an MIT or Harvard guy or whatever, and uh, he's done a lot of work on evolutionary psychology and language and so forth. And he wrote a really good book, kind of refuting the idea that we're just blank slates, like that we do have a human nature. There's a reason why we like to see water, and there's a reason why we like to see like open pastures and all that kind of primal stuff that we've been doing for thousands of years. And the, the best way I think to explain why evolutionary psychology kind of trumps other things is sex because sex actually doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> like uh, there's something in our brain that wants to have sex all the time. I mean, it, it, it where we, we will waste so many resources trying to get it and uh, all kinds of resources. And really, you know, logically, we only need to do it like three or four times if we're going to reproduce, right? I mean, that's that's really all you have to do. I mean, for the function of sex, the like the logical function of sex to work. Uh, but that's not what people want. 
because there's something in the back of their brain that wants something totally different that wants to be having sex every day. And, uh, so, uh, you know, like that's part of evolutionary psychology. They will experience it because it's not logical. Like, you know, Mr. Spock would say, this is totally illogical that, you know, like, why would you want to have sex every day? That is totally a waste of resources. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but we still want to do it. And so like, there's so many things like that. And, you know, the nature of men is very much like that as well. Like it's totally illogical to want to go, you know, fight someone because you might get hurt. Uh, you know, but we kind of still want to do that, you know, and, and uh, there's so many things that are like that. And if we don't do those things within reason, within control, then we have, you know, what the Jungians call, you know, shadow, uh, whereas that comes out in bad ways. Uh, you know, kind of if we don't, you know, sports is kind of civilized violence, you know, like sports is what you do when you don't have a war to fight. And uh, you got to get the boys doing all the things that they, they would do in war and, and exercising all the same primal instincts, but in a productive, not society destroying kind of way. And uh, that's why the, one of the reasons why it's so important, I think, for men to do that kind of stuff, for men to do martial arts and things like that, because uh, they get to exercise that part of their brains without, you know, just getting angry and beating their wives. You know, like <laughs> there's a better there's a better outlet for it. I find it I find it fascinating, Jack. You've mentioned um, evolutionary psychology a couple mm -hmm. of times already uh, tonight, and it's pretty easy to see from your writing that this is something that that you've been interested in. Um, you know, you mentioned it being interested in sex and gender and and just this kind of primal human nature. I'm curious because you know you you uh, you quote uh, Solzhenitsyn um, in some of your writing as well as some other. Um, well-known psychologist and we kind of are in this weird time where um, academia has kind of gotten mainstream due to you know several notable figures Steven Pinker being one of them um, Jordan Peterson's obviously um, got a huge influence but I'm curious you know that's at least from my perspective that's something that's developed um, somewhat recently this kind of mainstream fascination with what would otherwise be kind of closed-door academic um, insights or or conversations has this been always been something that you've been interested in i mean if you have an arts degree i'm assuming you don't have any formal education or that or is that something that you dabbled in as part no of your it's definitely education? not part of my education i mean i went to art school so you know my science credit was like the history of science you know it, it wasn't uh, you know like you know draw make a painting about how you feel about this book was english you know but uh but no i it was just something that's where the answers were you know, like that's where the answers were. Like if you're trying to find out what, yeah, like just anyone, I always laugh and say that, you know, I'm from the internet, like everybody else, you know, like I, I learned how to write by arguing with people in message boards, you know, really like, how do you make your point right? And what you're trying to do. And you, so you're, you're looking for the evidence, like what, what's the best evidence that I can make this supporting argument with. And that was the most convincing evidence to me. And it just made the most sense. Uh, you know, and, uh, I actually, you know, I haven't really kept up with what was going on in evolutionary psychology. Uh, and, you know, it kind of was it had a really, really big blow up and kind of like the 2010s and so forth. And then, um, I haven't heard much about it. And, uh, actually Jordan Peterson had an evolutionary psychologist on that. I kind of booked Mark. I'm like, I want to go maybe read some of the, that guy's books to see what people have been talking about lately. Cause it's difficult to trust academia now, obviously, because there's, they stopped doing science at a certain point. 
a friend of mine wrote an article about this recently. Uh, they have like kind of the social, I think, you know, social theory of science or something where it's not, it's not really hard evidence based anymore. Like they've already decided what conclusion they need to come to because it's the politically correct collusion, you know, conclusion. So at that point, you're not really doing science. You're just creating like convincing propaganda. And uh, that's, that's unfortunate uh, because, you know, you know, science is good <laughs> You know, when we're actually uh, trying to learn something and maybe we might find out we're wrong. But uh, if you've already decided what right is, you're not doing science. You're just looking for, you know, supporting evidence for your theory that already you've already decided what the answer is. And so I think we have a lot of problems with that. <laughs> Cough, COVID-19. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is the story <laughs> we're going with. Let's find the science. <laughs> you know. So, Jack, uh, you know, you said you mentioned several times you went to art school. Right. And so I'm guessing you didn't show up to, to art school with a beard, shaved head, covered in, you know, kind of Norse mythic tats. So, like, how has your evolution been to this? Um, or maybe you did, and maybe I'm completely off base, but it's just not the picture of art school I have in my head. And so, like, with your masculinity, is that something that you've already always felt in such a strong way? Or is this something that you've grown into or do you realize you're missing a piece and then you've kind of built, like, not built that role, but kind of expressed that side of Oh, definitely more. the latter. Definitely the latter. I'm, I'm so glad, you know, if I was going to, if I believed in God, I would thank him every day that there wasn't Facebook when I was a kid. Uh, you know, that we, we didn't, <laughs> yeah. there aren't a lot of pictures of me that we still had flip phones. If even that, then, uh, so glad, right. uh, you know, I'd, I'd be chasing that all across the internet. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, obviously <laughs> I looked like I went to art school. You were right. Uh, and, uh, no, it, it's been an evolution. I, I try to, it's a little unusual for a writer because usually writers are just writers and they say things and then other supposed people are supposed to do the things. But, uh, I try to, without becoming ridiculous, I try to, uh, embody to the best of my ability, the things that I write about. If I come to a conclusion, I'm like, well, I guess I have to go out and do this now. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a burden cause I'm like a public figure. So I have to, uh, yeah, I guess I guess I have to do this, or people know will know that I'm not doing it. Uh, so you know, like uh, I was, th I think I started a lot uh, lifting a lot first when I started talking about masculinity, and then uh, you know I had to. I was like, well, I've never been punched in the face, so I guess I got to go take boxing, which is, I mean, I, I guess it was punched in the face in middle school, but uh, you know, like in uh, in adult life. So I'm like, uh, so then I went and took boxing and, and so forth, and uh, you know obviously from lifting and all that kind of stuff, I got a lot bigger and I look a lot different. And, um, you know, then I do more jujitsu now. And right now I'm doing, I have a bodybuilding coach. Um, and you know, I had to go learn how to shoot guns. I mean, I hadn't done that. I wouldn't, you know, a lot of guys, some guys are grown with, you know, grow up with that. And I, I really didn't. Uh, so well, I didn't grow up with parents who hated it. It was just not part of really how I was raised. And, uh, so, you know, I had to go out and, you know, learn buy a gun and go shoot guns and i had a green brave friend of mine uh uh greg hamilton who runs a firearm school and he invited me up and gave me some classes up there and and uh so yeah i try to do with without being crazy and without stopping being myself i i do try to embody the things that i'm talking about because and, and also it increases your credibility right if like i'm like the little 
like fat goofy guy and i'm like oh so here's what masculinity is about guys uh like no one wants to hear that <laughs> you know so i at least have to i mean i'm not going to be it's like now i said there's so many people in the field i mean now you have jocko talking about masculinity you know i mean uh you know, i can't compete with jocko sorry uh but uh I can be the best version of myself that I can be and be a reasonable, a reasonable example, uh, uh to other men as, as best as I can, as like a 47 year old dude. Um, you know, I, I try to embody that, but artistically, cause I'm an artist and that's what I do. So, um, uh, you know, I try to balance it out, but yeah, I'm a much, it is interesting. And that's why it's so important for, you know, guys who were, you know, started out really young in the military or who, um, were really, were raised by a strong father figure who made them do a whole bunch of stuff. They have a different perspective than a lot of guys who weren't. I mean, there's so many guys have like, you know, they, they have single mothers or they don't have really, they're starting from zero with masculinity. So, you know, the, when you start from zero, I don't know if I was from zero or negative or whatever, but when you start, uh, you know, it changes your body then it changes you and it changes the way that other people relate to you um, in the world. Cause you hold yourself differently and, and, uh, um, you know, obviously your body's different and so forth. And, and it just, your body is the world is, is who you are to a certain extent. People do relate to your body, uh, which is interesting. I mean, yeah, I always think it's weird, you know, when dudes walk, when you, when you're walking through like a grocery store or something and dudes walk up to you and they're like, who wouldn't want to mess with you? which is a thing. I don't know why people do that, but it, you know, as someone who went to arts, I don't think of myself that way, but like, obviously, okay. I looked like a threat, uh, which is cool. I mean, that's what I was going for, but, uh, you know, you know, uh, um, it is, it, it does. It changes the way the world interacts with you. A lot of that's all in how you carry yourself, oh, yeah. you know, absolutely. It's just like, uh, like you said in, um, becoming a barbarian, like, you know, if, if you, if you see a guy on the street, who's dressed like a thug, then, you're going to make that assumption that there's a good chance that he is a thug and I'll cross the street. Now, if, if he's in a college classroom, read a book, then I'm not going to think that like right. it's, it's all in, it's all in how people see yeah, it's it. It's all about your presentation. And, and, you know, like, uh, I mean, it is kind of funny because threat display does not actually necessarily equal threat. Um, in terms of like, you know, like say bodybuilders or whatever, you know, you can be a gigantic dude who doesn't know how to fight. You know, and uh, that's a real thing where you can be like, you know, if you didn't catch the cauliflower ear on uh, 145 pounds jiu-jitsu guy who's a black belt, uh, that's a whole different story. <laughs> you know, so, so threat display isn't always accurate, but, you know, it does count for something. It does probably make people maybe like not want to find, not want to fuck around and find out, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah. You, if you miss that sign, you're going to get your fucking ass choked out. Yeah, real exactly. Quick, like. Yeah, I was about to say, as a guy who's routinely been fucked up by 145 pound dudes with cauliflower ear, I uh, I tend to stay away from cauliflower ear. That's not the dude I'm going to pick a fight with. For sure. Bar, for sure. For, for sure. So, Jack, one thing I've been curious about um, is what drew you, well, this is kind of a two-part question, one into kind of the Norse myths, which obviously you're pretty well versed in and obviously have a passion for. And then also how did that tie in with the, the wolves of Vinland and that whole, was that part of you like seeking out your tribe? Was that something you identified with them because of the Norse or like, how did that all go hand in hand? Oh, oh, oh this is now we're at the silently judging you part. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, that's where it gets spicy, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, 
basically I was, I was looking for some kind of tribe to join. I, again, I try to do what I say, um, say that other people should do. So I was looking for a tribe and, uh, I mean, these guys did some cool stuff. Uh, you know, they had, they did some cool stuff. Uh, their rituals were really cool. Uh, I can't, I can't hate on that. They, what they were doing was pretty impressive. I mean, when you, you're like, you've lived in normal suburban life and you go out and a whole bunch of dudes are burning a ship in the it, burning a ship and toasting with mead and like all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was pretty, pretty rad. Uh, I, and you know, and then they, they're fighting each other, like in between things. And yeah, you know, I was like, this feels like what I'm, I wrote about. We, we should do that, you know? But uh, I was also far away from them. I was on the other side of the country and I wasn't moving. And so I, I joined that group and it was probably not the best choice for a lot of reasons. There were some ideological things that were probably we weren't on the same page about. And, uh, you know, it didn't really work out over time. I put a lot into it, a lot of money and a lot of time, but uh, it prospected for a year. It took, I, it took about, it was about four years before I was like, no, this, I'm done. But, um, you know, I, I learned a lot. You learn about, a lot about yourself, like what I should not do again and and so forth but uh uh the norse uh, myths or germanic paganism or whatever i mean that was part of what they were doing and i had kind of felt that i was going to go that way anyway at that time uh kind of before that i it seemed like rather than being purely oppositional it seemed like i was looking for like a positive a positive kind of pagan thing that was you know had had a lot of the qualities that i was looking for and obviously the Germanic gods, you know, they're, they're pretty, uh, based and, uh, uh, masculine, you know, you're, you got your Thor, everybody just really joins for Thor, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> they really want to like have the hammer and lightning and thunder. And then, uh, yeah, so, and then, you know, you learn about all the other stuff as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I, did, I did a quick study on a lot of that. Cause I had to also as, as a prospect, for that group, I was also running rituals. So I had to figure out how to do that and also learn the myths really at high speed so that I could then tell them you know, retell them and, uh, do that. So it was all really interesting. Um, and I got a lot out of it. And, uh, as my research went on and I kind of moved away from the wolves and so forth, I did, I realized that it was a little bigger, like the, th the whole thunder God thing is right. But, there's a lot of thunder gods and they're all connected. And so like they go back, I mean, uh, that's what fire in the dark really is about uh, because you know, then you can, you know, like there's a lot of sun, there's a lot of sun storm father gods that are like, basically that's the form that's repeated over and over again. And the Germanic thing was just one evolution of that one set of stories. But you know, Zeus is also a thunder and lightning uh, storm God. And, uh, you know, that goes back to, you know, Proto-Indo-European and Indra for in the Vedic stuff. And, and so it, you know, you kind of look at that, as, I look at that as a much bigger picture now than I did, uh, when I was just doing the Germanic thing. Uh, now it's, you know, the way I look at that stuff is just, it's all, it's all connected and I still like the same archetypes. They're just bigger, you know? So I was curious about that as well, because, um, I, I had, I had, had the same, um, thought process as Luke did was like, was that, um, as far as the Norse, um, the, the appeal of the Norse, uh, mythology, was that, um, part of it? And did you start to connect those dots? You, you know, you said it, it took you stepping back to kind of realize some of the common themes that are expressed throughout, um, various mythologies or religions or however you choose to, 
define it as something that I, I grew up, uh, you know, a Methodist, you know, Protestant Mm -hmm. Christian. Um, and it took, it, it didn't like, but growing up, Luke can attest to this as well. Like we were always, um, you know, playing games and play and fight with each other. And, you know, we, Luke and I grew up together and we were always had interest in Norse mythology, Egyptian myth- mythology, etc. But I never, um, had some of those similar realizations that there are common themes throughout spread across those and, and literally applied around the, the world to basically every civilization that's yeah. ever existed, um, or at least major civilization until I got to a much later point in life. Yeah, it's a bit. Well, and that's something that, sorry, Jay, that has kind of struck me as well as my, like Perry, my same family, I was raised Methodist, went through my ups and downs with my faith and how I felt, ended up realizing this really isn't for me because the more I was a history major in, in college and uh, more of an amateur historian than I even was in college. I didn't really pay attention to college, but I, I love reading history and mythology has always been something I was interested in. And you do, you see these common trends, like every Everybody talks about mm-hmm. the Great Flood. Everybody. Like, you see these redundancies in, you know, these different stories. And even, like, the resurrection, there's there's an, uh, it's tied in with yeah. some Egyptian mythology. And there's just, like, a bunch of, and I, I'm sure you know all this, but, like, with me, that was when I was just, like, maybe this isn't the exact right answer, but maybe the answer is like exactly what you said. I'm, I, I bought it. I haven't read it yet, but Fire in the Dark, I'm excited to, because I think it's going to tie into a lot of my already thoughts. But there's these overarching themes that there's something there with humans and our spirituality and the myths. And some of it is that we just need, I think we need to be comfortable with yeah. death and, and then also answering the questions of the universe. So we make up stories, but the fact that there's so much redundancy across all these cultures that never, you know, communicated back then, even through trade, that there's some, there's some interesting yeah, stuff. I mean, there. basically the, the thesis of fire in the dark really is that you have, what are the roles of man? Like, what have we always need, always needed to do? And these gods are like an idealized version of us, you know, it's they're an idealized version of what we'd always needed to do. And wait, maybe, you know, you can be like, that came from ancient aliens. And I don't know the answer to that, but, uh, you know, it, uh, whether that's, it came from us or it came from something external who, who knows then at some point it doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, you know, like this, this, you know, the striker, the, the Thor figure, the, uh, war, I mean, that's like the ultimate warrior God. What have we always had to do? You know, we've always had to go out and defend the perimeter and all the things I talked about in the way of men really are about this, you know, all the things that the striker God does, you know, it's, and, uh, you know, that becomes Thor and it becomes Zeus and all these guys who have to go out and slay a dragon, which is a big theme all the way through myth, you know, is, is, uh, killing the serpent. Uh, killing the chaos monster and and usually the, the the father god has to kill a chaos monster before he can become king and father and that's usually how the progression works and it, it happens over and over again indra does it all these all these uh different gods you know they have to fight this dragon that's threatening the order of society and then they overcome that restore order then they become the king it, it's this very repeated pattern and that's really i mean how do men rise to power you know, like they, okay, well, they have to, uh, well, Joe killed the tiger. <laughs> yeah. Joe killed the tiger that was going to eat our babies. Joe's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it's, uh, it, it, you could kind of see how it works. Uh, you know, we've had they, the guy who beat, he, 
becomes the hero and, and uh, goes out and, and uh, stands up against whatever threat it is, uh, you know, has a kind of elevated place in society. And, uh, you know, then, you know, I talked about the father archetype, which is always father. He's in the sky. Well, that's, you know, you look up to your father when you're kid, the father got the father got is like one step higher. He's up in the sky and uh, he's this idealized version of the perfect father and the perfect leader and the perfect king and, and so forth. And we see that repeated over and over and over again. And and then there's always some Dionysian uh, like I call him the Lord of the Earth, this figure that, uh, you know, has to do with fertility. And, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the Germanic pantheon, it's Frey. And uh, there's always some kind of fertility god, fertility figure that uh, perpetuates all the life on the ground because that's actually where most of that's what most of us do most of the time is deal with you know the things that just make life work. So again, I think these 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 are these basic archetypes that have to do with this practical reality of uh, men interacting with their environment in the way that they have for hundreds of thousands of years. With those stories and and the the reoccurring theme of the. kind of the measure, right? The, the feeding of the dragon, the killing of the, you know, whatever the serpent, or, I mean, you saw all the Greek heroes would go do it. Medusa, um, you know, the different, uh, the lions, the, all, all that. I think, you know, some of that is, it's telling that story to, to teach these young men that we, there's, there's gotta be, you know, struggle before right. there's achievement. And I think that that's something that's been huge in the devaluing of males in our society is that, you know, and it's so every, you know, all the, everybody gets a trophy right. generation. That's, that's like the common, everybody falls back on that. But I mean, I was part of that generation. You know, I remember playing T-ball or Little League. We were the worst fucking team out there. And I went home with a trophy. And you just look at this thing and you're like, this is worthless. Like, why, am I, why are we getting ice cream? We fucking <laughs> lost. Like, even as a kid, I remember having those thoughts. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and then I, you know, I went and playing sports. In high school, I was at a part, I was very lucky to be part of a, like the best team in uh, Tennessee. And we, we lost one game with state championship my senior year. And so like that loss was more profound on me than all our other wins and it, cause it meant something. And then like you, you learn that lesson. And I think we've, we've killed that and we're, we're losing that within our society. And it's something that I actually really liked. And when, when I, cause I've been following you for a while with, and I saw kind of this, the, you know, behind the curtain with the, when you were with the wolves and the, you know, and at a base level for the face value of, you know, there was some struggle that you had the rituals. There was, you fought each other, you built, this within and we've built that within our group as well not to the exact same extent i mean we haven't sacrificed any goats but we do kill a lot of animals um and and so like there's still a ritual in that and that's something that was i think i have a six-month-old boy and as i think about him is like i want to build in rituals in his life and that achievement and that this is your first you know animal when he when he kills his first deer and like this is this is significant like this is a big step in a young man's life this is that next level you know and i think we're i mean we we clearly are losing that throughout our society absolutely i mean and that's the thing uh with rituals if ritual actually means the right or established way like the right uh r-i-t-e but uh in the latin i believe it goes to the right or established way that you've done something over and over and over again and this is the this is how we've this is how we do it this is how our people do it and we don't have a homogenous society where we have an agreement of, well, this is how our people do it anymore. So then we're lost. And I think the fear with creating new rituals is that you feel weird, you know, like, well, I'm going to do a ritual, but, uh, you know, I'm just kind of making it up. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, it, people feel weird about it. So then they don't do it. 
And I think that almost anything that you do, if you do something that means something to you, it's going to be um, fairly profound, especially for a young kid. Uh, and you know, if you make it meaningful, I, I, I don't think that you can really go wrong with that. If you look at the ancient Greek uh, rituals, uh, they weren't they weren't as elaborate as like a church performance. You, you can actually read through the Odyssey and uh, Jason and the Argonauts and all, and all that. And uh, basically, you know, they'll just show up on the island, you know, slaughter some goats or whatever, which they then feast on. I mean, that's their dinner, really. And uh, it's like, Apollo, thank you for, you know, like, it's a very short little speech of like, Apollo, thanks. Thank you for guiding us through the thing, uh, you know, like across the waters and, and all right, uh, let's eat. And, you know, it, it's very a short thing, but it's meaningful. And so they, you know, they felt like it was like saying grace almost. Uh, in a couple of the things, I mean, of course, they had more elaborate rituals, and you know, like in ancient Rome, and you know, in the in the temples and so forth. But uh, it was just kind of instructive to me to to read through some of those old texts and just see um, how simple the descriptions of some of those things were. Like, it doesn't have to be this elaborate, you know, thing with like fifteen people involved and like choreography and all that. Uh, um, you know, ritual can be just something very sincere and, and simple, meaningful. Well, even the act of killing that goat or, you know, if, if you're, you know, obviously we're, we're hunters. I mean, the act of killing that animal, um, butchering it, processing yeah. it, you know, preparing the meat and then consuming it, having that be the fuel is almost ritualistic in a oh, yeah. sense. I mean, that's, we, we talked about men, um, protecting the perimeter. Well, men have also been right. providers and you that's something that's as old as, as men are. So um, that in and of itself is, is rich. Yeah. And I, and I really think that that's a, a really important thing. I mean, I kind of did that obviously with the sacrifices. I had to learn how to do that for in front of a group of people in the dark, uh, in, <laughs> you know, which is kind of stressful. Uh, and uh, you know, sometimes it goes better than others in, in whatever. And you try to do the best job you can. Um, but uh you know, so I got to experience that. And that that's a very emotional thing. Uh, like I'm sitting, I'm standing on top of this thing while it's dying. You know, it, it was kind of, you know, it's, that's emotionally very cathartic and, and uh, draining. But uh, I do think that everyone, every, every man, especially probably everyone should see something die and then eat it. And uh, you know, every, every man should definitely have to kill something and eat it because you really need to know that life comes from death. Because if you don't understand that, then you don't understand a lot of things. It's, it just starts a chain of unreason that goes through society like a virus. And it's, it's a really, really bad thing. So, I, you know, I've obviously done that. Then, you know, I've cut the goats apart and, and uh, the, to the best of my ability and, and uh, you know, put them in the freezer and whatever. Uh, I'm actually going out a couple weeks to Texas uh, on, a, on a boar hunt. Uh, you know, not, 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 we're not going to do the, like, let's see if we can spear it kind of thing. Uh, we're, we're just going to shoot the boars, but, uh, uh, but uh, a friend of mine, Colin Cottrell has a, has a business called, uh, uh, I think high caliber hunts and, uh, he's just starting to start that out. And so we're going to go out and, uh, shoot some boar and that's going to be kind of one of the first, uh, really good hunting things that I get to do. Like I said, I've killed some animals, so I got that handled, but, uh, you know, I wanted to do the hunting, but as you know, I think you got, obviously this is the lift hunt kind of podcast um you know it, it is a little bit of depending on where you live in the country it can be a little bit of an ordeal uh that you really have to invest a lot of time and energy into like navigating the system uh to, to where you're allowed to go hunt and all that kind of stuff 
if you don't have friends that do it and take it with you, you know, or the property that you're on or whatever. So, uh, it was a good way to, for me to jump in and, and, and do that. So I'm kind of excited about that. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully I don't mess up and I actually, I, I, I feel like it's going to be a pretty, it's going to be set up to be pretty easy, but, uh, hopefully, uh, I come home with uh, some pig or something. We actually last week when uh, the three of us and some of the other guys from um, our group were down in Florida okay. killing pigs, and then the weekend before that, I was in I was in Texas. So I've, I've killed a lot oh, of okay. pigs recently. Cool. Um, we we were running them with dogs down in Texas and then yeah. stabbing them. Um, I used a knife, but another guy used a spear, which that is a totally different experience. I'm not, I'd shot a lot yeah. of pigs up to that point, but when you're when you're stabbing them and bleeding them, I mean it's. I don't want to say it's a ritual because it's the first time I've done it, but I mean, you kind of get that feeling because like they bleed and you're right there. It's just, I'm sure it's similar to killing I've actually goats. killed a pig. Um, it was a small one, but I've uh, pigs as, 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 as was, it was explained to me at the time, pigs are smart and they know what time it is. So they don't want to go <laughs> like, like uh, they're, they're, they're fighters. And uh, so that was, yeah, that was, that was a dramatic experience. <laughs> so I can only imagine with a much bigger animal, it was even a more dramatic experience. Uh, the, the dogs thing is so scary to me because I'm such a dog person. Like I, I would, yeah, I, I would hate the, the idea of my dog getting gored. That would, that would wreck me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, it is a totally different yeah. experience. Like, cause I, you know, I have pet dogs yeah. that are in the house and, um, they're, you know, these, the folks that right. run the dogs, like they view them, they're, they're. They're livestock, you know. They're working right. dogs. They're they're there to they're, they're you know, and and they even have pet dogs that are their pets, and these are different dogs, you know. And there's a it's a completely different. And then they've got there's the dogs that actually track and smell, and there's the dogs that actually fight the, and and bay up the pigs. And so there's a there's a whole thing, and that's what was really fascinating to me is this dog yeah. culture behind it, because you know humans have been using dogs for hunting warfare. I mean, since humans oh, sure. have been human, we've evolved together. Uh, which and that's always been a part of human evolution that's really fascinated me and, and seeing them in, at work is so cool and it's it is scary i mean like is you spend the day and i'm a big softy i spend the day with these big you know bulldogs petting them and loving on them and they're yeah. sweet as can be and they get on those pigs and they get all cut up and yeah and I, luckily they haven't lost the dog when i've been there but they, you know those big especially if you get on a big mature boar they'll kill dogs for yeah sure. yeah i mean and it's obviously yeah like you said i mean people have done this i mean that's what they use dogs for for a lot of human history um, that, that was part of the deal. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me for the exactly the same reason you mean, I mean they, like they think they're the only animal that we exchange oxytocin. Like we actually like chemically like bond with each other. And I, I feel like I can feel that with my, my one dog, uh, you know, like, Oh, we're doing the thing right now. We're, we're vibing. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, ritualistically, like having studied a lot of like the early, early myths and early cultures, even in Greece and, and so forth, they sacrificed a lot of dogs too, which is, I mean, that was a, there was a whole dog kind of sacrifice culture and, and that was, that was part of the deal. So, I mean, it's, I, I think when you're a farmer too, um, you know, and you do kill animals on a regular basis, uh, you have that switch figured out uh, a little bit, you know, like there's the on and off switch, like you're Betty tomorrow, your dinner. You know, like you're Betty the pig, but tomorrow your dinner and you, you just get used to that. And that's, that's just, again, what life is. And it shows you how, again, how much harder men had to be in the past, uh, you know, to be able to flip that switch. I mean, I was worried the first time I ever, you know, my, my buddy actually, we did rabbits first 
and uh, my buddy raised rabbits, and he's like, "Come over, and I'll, I'll show you how to kill a rabbit." Whatever we did, did some of that, and I was like, "I don't know how I'm going to react to that. I've never done anything like that." But you know, fortunately, I was like, "Oh, I have that switch. All right, that, that now I'm just trying to rip this thing's head off because I want to die." You know, I'm not like freaking out about it. You know, but you you don't know if you haven't done that. You're like, "How am I going to die like bunnies? Like, <laughs> like how am I going to feel about this?" But yeah, then you then you interact with it, and and uh, you know, we we do have that switch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you've killed an animal and the species and the more you mm-hmm. hunt an animal, the more, you, I don't want to say a bond to be melodramatic, but like there's, there's more of a relationship. There is like, I, I know I grew up in the East hunting whitetail. Now I'm out West in Colorado and I'm, I'm learning elk and mule deer and antelope, but there's, you know, I know whitetail. I know how they're going to behave. I know where they're going to sleep. I know where they're going to react during weather and wind. And like you learn this pattern and that you don't get by just being like a sightseer, you know, short of being like a deer biologist, maybe that goes out and puts tracking collars sure. on them. But you have an intimacy with that animal and a respect for the species, you know, and I think it's Stephen Ronella from meat eater. He says that like, he loves the idea of deer more than the individual deer, like the species as a whole. And that was something that resonated with me is like, you know, you can kill the deer individually and then consume it, but still love the species and like still work and like, you know, conservation money and in, in, in dollars and time and effort and try to still take care of the habitat and improve habitat mm-hmm. and all that. And so I think that that's something that you, you don't get when, when you said you think that every male should have to kill his food. I think at least once, I think that's completely true. Like, you know, we don't, we don't get a ton of hate. Um, but when we do, it's usually somebody who's got a stake in their fucking, you know, profile. Like I'll, I'll look at the profile and I'm like, dude, all you do is pay, you, you proxy yeah. kill your food. Like we just do it. You know, you have to pay somebody, you know, a paid assassin to put a metal rod against yeah. your cow's head after it's been force fed corn and antibiotics and hormones. Like I grew up on a beef farm. I'm not anti cattle production, but it's just it's different when you're out there in the wilderness and you have a different appreciation oh, sure. for it. So do you think uh, after this pig hunt, you're going to want to get more into hunting or is this like a one and done type thing? Oh, uh, it's just, you know, how much you... <laughs> You know, all all the all the man things uh, have have a, a like a price of entry. You know, like there, this is okay. Well, I'm going to get into this now, and this is how much it costs, and this is this is going to be the uh, and 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 time. You know, like there's this this much time, and this one, and so this is like you know, it's like oh, I guess I'm going to learn how to ski. Well, those all ski gear you have to buy, da, 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 da. and uh, so you know, like it's over time you do a lot of things. So you know, it depends where I am. Like I'm in Utah right now, and it's it's kind of a hassle. Um, you know, it's kind of like the way it was in Oregon when I was there, as far as tags and all that kind of stuff. I know you can go to places in the South and it's like, you know, like, do you even need a tag? I don't know. But, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, it was like a lottery system and a big ordeal. And, and again, I think it's really helpful if you know, some guys who go and and do that on a regular basis that you can go along with and, and, uh, whatever. So it just depends. I think, uh, if we get, you know, if I get into, that situation. I mean, most of what I like to do is really create stuff, um, you know, and, and, and make art and things like that. And, and right now I'm doing the bodybuilding thing. So I, they spend like two and a half hours in the gym a day. So there's that. And, uh, you know, then there's jujitsu. It's like, you have to keep doing that or it goes away. And so who knows, who knows? I, I you know, like, uh, it's, it's something that I have time in life to, to do some more of. So it might, uh, you know, if I get some more opportunities like this, I mean, this one is like my friend was going, uh, all right, I'll go. Sure. So as you look back, Jack, um, so we're 10 years right. past the the initial run of way of men. Like, is there anything that you 
looking back now as you've got 10 years of growth that you would add to or take away from, from your de- definition of masculinity? Uh, well, I tried to answer that when I wrote the afterward for the new edition, like what would I, what would I change on the book? And it's, it's not a lot. Uh, it's not, not very much, you know, I've, I've kicked around over the years is strength to like one dimensional. I, I like the word might a little bit better for it because really, you know, strength, it's strength makes people think of like powerlifting strength and, uh, so much of physical, you know, fitness or might or whatever, uh, that, ha- that you have to do as a man and had in our primal environment and so forth is, uh, you know, it's, it's running. You know, it's, it's like running and, and agility and, and uh, all these other things that are really part of what might would really look like. And uh, so, you know, I think that it could be confusing for people like you just have to be strong. You know, well, you know, there's a lot of, again, terrifying 145 pound guys that aren't that strong, but they've got all the other pieces. And that's part of what strength is. Uh, so, you know, maybe I would elaborate on that slightly differently. Uh, but uh, but other than that, I think. Uh, and I also say, as an older man, I would probably not be as angsty. Uh, the, the book's a little angsty at the end. Uh, but you know, I was a delivery guy who had to take like urine tests to like drive a truck and like whatever. I was dealing with the crappy world that we have to live in, you know, like and uh, but I think that's why it connected with a lot of guys because they're living in that crappy world with me. You know, like uh, now I, you know, I can I could go to the gym for two and a half hours a day and, and uh, do podcasts. But, um, you know, that, and that's my job. But, you know, there was a time, you know, when I had to get up at five in the morning and go drive a truck, you know, whatever, and uh, deal with all the bullshit that all these guys have to deal with. And that really that bullshit has just gotten worse. Uh, There's more regulations and more like kind of emasculating things they have to deal with. So I would write it differently now because I'm an older guy and I have more perspective. Um, And I would try to be have a more positive outlook or whatever. But I guess if you read the rest of my work, you can see that progression. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I wrote it with the passion that I had at that point, And that was the right thing for the right time. You know, I guess maybe some of that will be dated at some point, but it doesn't look that way. You know, like uh, who knows what you have to do to like what kind of emasculating uh, ceremonies you have to go through to like work at like Amazon or whatever, you know, which is what so many guys have to do, you know, just to make ends meet. No, it's only becoming more and more relevant, especially as we get further and further away from our older ways of, you know, actually going out, having to do hard manual labor. Like you, you look, you read that book and and you can see how we've, how we've strayed from, from those core values and how most men probably need to get back to them. Yeah. And it's just, it is, I I think I even wrote that in the book at the time. It's like, it's, it's actually hard to find a hard job Uh, that, that, there are very few people who get to do things that are just really physically hard. Um, you know, like that's actually a hard, you know, job to find Cause I was looking for it at the time. Cause obviously I'm writing about this kind of thing and I'm like, I should go dig ditches or something, you know, like <laughs> do say, do something that's, uh, you know, what's the manliest job I can get with no experience. <laughs> and you know, like, what can I do? And, um, so yeah, but th- that kind of stuff is actually hard to come by, especially cause, uh, in big cities, that's like, kind of an insider immigrant thing. Like they just sign a shuffle people from outside who will take less money in to do that, do that, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a challenging thing. I think for guys who are raised in a like suburban cul-de-sac, 
to even have that kind of experience. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of, and I'm not hating on this because they have to do it some way. Right. But uh, we're seeing a lot of these things where these guys take these ice baths and like they're they're because they need to do something hard because all they've all they've gone is go from like go to work and in an office or telecommute from home. And that's what they're doing now. Uh, They sit in their underwear and like, uh, you know, work, you know, send emails. And uh, there's so many people doing that. And so like they need something that's, you know, difficult. So, a lot of, you know, you see all these they, guys go to these things where like they, they're getting like cold plunges and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's just a friend of mine and I were joking about it because we both have blue collar jobs. And we were like, have you ever had to carry shit into a building all day long in the rain when you didn't want to? I don't need to do a fucking cold plunge. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like and you're getting twelve dollars an hour or whatever. Like, like I've done that. I got it. You know, but uh, a lot of these guys haven't had that experience. And so they need to seek it out some way. Uh, and so it's admirable that they're trying to do that. I told my wife years ago um, that my son was not going to have a choice but to work on a Christmas tree farm when he turns about 16. Because I spent about a year, eh, maybe a little more, working on a Christmas tree farm, um, like Luke said, up in the Appalachian Mountains. And it's the most physically demanding job I've ever really? done in my life. I mean, literally working 70, 80 hours a week during harvest season, um, just cutting, hauling, dragging Christmas trees, thousands of Christmas trees. Yeah. And it's cold and it's wet. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's snowing or raining or, you know, what the weather's doing, people still want their Christmas right. trees. Right. And your job is to get them out of the field. Well, it's got to yeah. get done. That type of work gives you a different mindset. It gives you a different appreciation. Um, and I, I told my wife, I was like, yeah, the second he turns 16, if we're, uh, if we're living anywhere near a Christmas tree farm, I'm calling that farmer and, and signing him up because it, uh, it's valuable. Nice. I had to do something like that when I was a kid, you know, like it traumatized my mother, I think, but, uh, my, I was, I was, you know, bitching that I didn't have any enough like money and my parents were buying me enough stuff. So, uh, my dad was like, oh, you want a job? I'll get you a job. And I was like underage. I was like 14 or something. And they said, I, they got me a job at a, uh, at a turkey farm during Thanksgiving. So like, you know, you're like carrying the turkeys into slaughter and like, and like uh, on the assembly line, cutting, cutting, you know, like the necks, like after pulling the heads off and stuff, you know, and I didn't grow up on a farm. And I was like, this is, people, there's farm kids throwing chicken heads at me and stuff like that, like turkey heads at me. And, and, uh, you know, to, to this day, I'm just like, I'm glad we eat those animals. They're horrible. But, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's good for kids to have that kind of experience, I think, early on, because it does shape what their expectations are of the world. And it, like when I when I got the job doing exercise equipment, that was actually my favorite job that I've ever had. It was also the physically the hardest job, but that was a favorite job I ever had because um, I learned a lot about, I think, masculinity and teamwork. Uh, the guy I worked with is still my like oldest and best friend because we were in a truck for nine hours a day together driving around on hunts basically you're going around driving around like oh we're making deliveries to each stop and there's something we have to deal with at each one like getting a 300 pound treadmill up up a like spiral staircase or you know all this kind of stuff is what you're doing and uh, you have to work together and not um there is no screwing up which is a different i think a lot of kids are like i messed up you know, like uh, they raise it like that. That's okay. Well, when your buddy has a 300 pound treadmill, like on you and you're like going downstairs, if you mess up, 
he's going down the stairs with a with a treadmill on top of him. You don't get to mess up. Just don't mess up. You know, and uh, that's a different mindset that I think a lot of kids never have to experience. A lot of men don't have to deal with. But I think that that helped me grow a lot uh, as a man, uh, just having to go through that experience every day of of working together with another guy, and uh, you know, depending on each other in that way. Yeah, because there's there's so much molding and growth that you have going through those struggles and that strife like you, you appreciate things so much more there's a there's this poem that a, that a ex-ranger wrote a while ago about a death of his of his buddy and one of the sections that I, that it's always stuck with me was um it's like uh for those who have never known cold can never truly know heat for those who uh, have never been hungry can never really taste the food he eats you know for those who've never risked or uh danger loss or fear can never appreciate life and hold every moment dear if you don't have those things that challenge you and 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 push you to grow as a person you can't you can't truly appreciate life you can't appreciate the little things that you have that makes sense yeah there's like a level of cold like there's cold where you're outside and you're like oh i need a jacket and there's like that cold where you think you're never going to be warm again (laughs) and like you're going to die cold you know, and like when you've like, I know Derek's experienced that I have too. And like when you get that cold and like, there's no like end in sight, like there's not like, you can't go anywhere. You're like, you're just yeah. out and you're just like, fuck, this is yeah. awful. Yeah. Or you're so cold that, you know, you're, you've stacked, you know, four dudes underneath a little blanket, just hugging as close as you can get. And that's bonding. You're talking yeah. about teamwork. You're trying to, you're trying to shiver and sink. <laughs> so you keep yourselves warm, you know, like there's just a level of that, that I think, you know, and it's that perspective, you know, you sit there and you look at, and I think that's a problem we're dealing with it right now. There's a, you know, the suicide uh, epidemic in, in the military. And I, we look at it and like, I think, I think we're going about it the wrong way. I think we're treating the symptoms and not the root problem. And the root problem is a lack of perspective and coping mechanisms. And I think some of that comes from a, a lack of the hard training and we're starting to die as we have, you know, I came in in 2013 and like where we're at now with the end of the wars, our training is different and it's shifted and the focus is more on like kind of comfort and these things that I, I think that we're not setting ourselves up as an army for success. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you're going to like a, a very specialized unit, you're missing out on some of this, even in like the regular infantry. Um, and it, it was a culture shock for me going from the light world, which is basically just a rucksack and walking into now I'm on vehicles. And so there's a different culture and guys are more comfortable. And so the, with that comfort comes a bit of fragility, I think. And I think that that's something we've got to combat in society. And I think it's an issue with society as well. And it's not, I think the the, arm, the military is just a microcosm of society as a whole. Um, it's actually a pretty good sample because it's literally every walk of life in that same organization. And so when we look at this in society, like books like The Way of Men and doing things, and even if you have to manufacture some hardship with your cold dunk mm-hmm. or, you know, go do a crucible event like a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder, but like having that I think is, is very, very important for like humanity and it, it rewires our brains because of, without that, I think that that's why we just don't know what to do. And we've got anxiety and depression and suicides and all these mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously the military and that kind of stuff, I think I, my understanding of it is a lot of guys have a, uh, a there, there's like a role adjustment period that they have to go through to a certain extent, like a lack of perspective for sure. I mean, that's like, yeah. Uh, that's why kids kill themselves in high school. Right. I mean, it's like your high school world is forever, you know, like that, that's the whole world. 
And that's, you know, like when you really, it's like, I don't even remember high school at this point, you know, at 47, I'm like, I did. Yeah. I, I had some experiences, whatever. I remember where I went to high school, but like, I don't remember anything, but when you're there, it's the most important thing in the world. And only kind of age gives you a little bit of that perspective. Like, Oh, that really didn't ma- Nothing that happened there mattered. Uh, but, uh, you know, and this, you know, I think that with the military, I see a lot of guys who, uh, you know, they've lived in that world and when they transition, they try to transition to a civilian world. They have a huge role adjustment and like every, all their values have to change and they have to deal with all this stuff that they don't understand. And, um, it, it's, it takes a lot of them a while, uh, I think to adjust to that. And if they have a whole bunch of bad stuff happen at the same time, that's kind of, you know, like that's a bad, that's a bad scene. Yeah, absolutely. It's a negative feedback loop. And, and I should have clarified. So there's, to me, when I look at this problem and I, I have to look at it because I'm a company commander and I, I've got 150, 170 folks depending mm-hmm. on the day. And uh, the folks that are transitioning out, I think it's it's exactly what you're talking about. It's it's a new role, new lack of support system, lack of structure, lack of teamwork, camaraderie, the brotherhood, the gang, they've lost the yeah. gang, you know? And then and that's and then you you see that and then it's guys that have been operating at a very high level actually struggle with mm-hmm. it more on the other side for the when it's happening with the young soldiers which is what I'm experienced mostly it's my new guys that come in they've been in the army for 6 oh. months and their girlfriend breaks oh, up with yeah. them or their mom's sick yeah. you know what i'm saying and there's something there and then it's always coupled yeah. with alcohol and then there's there's and that's the catalyst and then something triggers it and it's a, the flash of bangs like 20 minutes and it's just like and you know the best way I've heard it word is it's just like it's a t- it's a permanent solution to a very temporary problem right. whatever it is and and I think a lot of it is um, is that you know that lack of they've never experienced any hardship and now they're away from home they they've never been away from home they've been next to their mom they've been able to touch her their entire lives or their you know and whatever the issues and then boom like something hits and it's like we try to talk to these guys and I'm like look you have us like this is the family. You still have your family, but like you have a new one here and there's a disconnect there. That's hard to, it's hard to get through to. And then some of them, I mean, see it as a, there's a whole lot of games as well, right? They can game the system to get their way out of the army. Right, right. But you know, that's, that's not really what we're talking about, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that, you know, I, I opened it up with how well the way I've been aged over the last decade. And I think it really, really has because we've just seen all the issues that you were attacking back then have just gotten yeah. worse they've compounded, you know, and, you know, from everything from gender roles. And I mean, now there are, there apparently are no genders and like, you know, the way everything <laughs> no one knows is what a woman is. Yeah. Like that's the product. thing today, this week. Right. Uh, they go, turns out biology doesn't even know, uh, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's the thing, but yeah, I mean, all that stuff has just gotten worse for sure. An interesting thing, actually, uh, I, I, this morning's podcast, I had one this morning and then like in the evening here, and I was talking to a bunch of guys in Europe. Uh, so, and they're actually, I didn't think about this until they brought it up, but you know, there's a war there right now. And a lot of the guys are actually, some of the guys are from Eastern Europe. And uh, so all of a sudden, all these guys, they're seeing people around them have to deal with kind of issues that are in the way of men. You are like, Oh, we might, they might draft us like we might have to go fight what you know like uh, there's there's all kinds of like realizations that they're having about how the world works 
um, like, oh, that violence could come spill over into our country really fast. Or like, uh, you know, they're watching people that are just like them, you know, have to clear out of their homes and do all kinds of stuff, you know. So, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm so skeptical about what is happening over there. I'm like, I don't I, I, I kind of refuse to believe certain things. Uh, but uh, just because, you know, our government's been lying us, to us for the past two years. So why would why would I don't believe anything anymore? But, uh, you know, obviously there's something going on and a lot of people are having traumatic experiences. And uh, so, you know, it's just interesting to hear it because I haven't really talked to any Europeans about it yet. And and, uh, they brought that up today that all they're reconsidering all these things because they always felt very Europeans have a little bit more of a thing, even like we are very civilized and protected. We will never have to deal with such things. And, uh, you know, they're they're having to, like, address some of these issues is now, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually heading for a nine month deployment in two weeks uh, over to Eastern Europe. Oh, wow. So, not going to Ukraine, but I'm going. I'm going to be uh, in the in the okay. vicinity. Um, we're just kind of this deployment's been on the schedule for a long time. It's a typical NATO deployment. It just happens to happen while everything's going right. on. So, uh, it looks like there's something out. There's something more behind it, but there's not. Right. I promise. Um, but you know, with, with that, it, it does. There's there has been a shift within my you know chain. Like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this war can actually happen. Like maybe we should care about the shit we cared about four years ago and not some of the other stuff that has been pushed down. And it's like, this is what we should have been focusing on the whole fucking time. But you know, and I, and I it's not to say I know like, war is not right. good, you know, but there is a level of simplicity and priority that takes hold during sure. warfare and you just know what matters and you know, it fucking doesn't. And there's something very kind of beautiful about that in a very dark kind of twisted sort of way. Makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's in a, to your, to your point about, you know, belief, I think that that's one of the biggest pro, you know, the worst thing to come out of COVID is how nobody believes anything that comes out. I mean, it was already, everybody's pretty skeptical, but now like everybody that wasn't fully drinking the Kool-Aid is like, you guys are lying about yeah. everything. And so I think we're having a bit of an overreaction to a certain degree. Um, cause like we see this like, Oh, it's all propaganda. It's like, yeah, fuck it's war. Everything's propaganda. Like that, that is implied. Like, of course the Ukrainians are going to try to sell it. Like they're doing better. That is what warfare is. They'd be crazy not to. And they're doing a great job winning the, the war, the IO campaign. Um, but I I do think that this, the skepticism is, it's super normal at this point, unfortunately. And I think it's to be expected. And Um, I was, again, I was talking to, you know, done a bunch of podcasts this week, but that was something that's come up. It's like, uh, a theme uh, someone brought up the walking dead and i was like yeah back when the walking dead first came out if, if something went down i would run towards the cdc like everybody does in the movie like everybody's like go to the cdc and now everybody would run the other way because they probably made it you know like and uh, you know it's and that's a huge shift in society with the trust in institutions that like it's just collapsed you know you know it's uh it, it, it's a very strange environment and uh, we're gonna see a lot of trust I think break down in other things, unfortunately. And, and yeah, I, I don't want to be proven right about a lot of stuff, but like, uh, it's kind of a, you know, a blessing and a curse. Uh, I mean, I just, I'm sitting here beside a broken window cause someone drove a drove a truck or something into my office and stole like $15,000 worth of gear. And, uh, I'm not really even that bad Damn. of a neighborhood. I mean, I'm in a corporate, I'm going to corporate park <laughs> and, uh, and so wow. that's kind of sucks. And then right before I was, 
I, I got on this podcast, um, my Shopify store was getting barraged by fraudulent orders. And so I had to stop and shut all those down. And that, I, all this stuff is going to keep steamrolling as people get more desperate and people as as the structures fall apart uh we're gonna see just a lot more crime i mean obviously i'm having a bad run of it at the moment i'm getting i'm getting a lot of it but uh <laughs> i'm having a bad month on crime but uh you know i didn't i didn't feel like i had to worry about that and i've lived in some bad i've lived in i've worked at residence hotels i lived in a residence hotel in harlem for a little bit when i was in school i mean it's not like i've been like sheltered but uh yeah, I think that things are going to get a little more desperate and a little bit more crazy. Uh, you know, I'm in Salt Lake City. It's not like I'm in like you know Baltimore. <laughs> you know, it's it's a uh, um, you know in a lot of places. I think a lot of people are in for some kind of rude awakenings about what people will do when they're desperate and when things when there's a little bit of a failed state situation happening. Sounds like folks are going to have to learn how to become a barbarian, huh? Become an outsider. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I'm like that, that system. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've been here at night since that happened, and I'm not really worried. I mean, that would be really, 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 really random. But I'm like, should I? Should I be carrying right now? Like, <laughs> like, uh, it's nighttime now, and I'm in here yes. with my with my <laughs> with my lights on and and whatever. I mean, I'm, it's going to be like whatever, like 830 or whatever when I leave. I'm not super worried about it. But I was like, I have started. I pack up all my equipment, take it home with me now. Uh, you know, it's just a different it's a different vibe that I think people are going to have to. This quote I keep coming back to, um, it, it, I'll probably butcher it a little bit. But for in The Godfather, uh, one of the Godfather movies, I think it's, it's the first one. Um, uh, Don Corleone says, uh, you know, women can afford to be careless, but men can, men can't afford to be careless. And, uh, that's kind of been my thing this month. Well, should have had the camera pointed the right way. Should have had it, like all the things that I was a little careless about, uh, come back and bite me on the ass. And I think that, uh, we're going to have a lot of people have to be more careful. Uh, a lot of men are going to have to be a lot more careful than they've been before. You know, shit. If it's Sunday morning at Whole Foods, I'm fucking carrying. <laughs> ABCs, yeah. man, always be carrying. <laughs> These days, yeah. I don't. I don't. There's very few places I go yeah. without it, uh, especially with my wife and kid. You know, it's that one time you don't have it, and that you're right. like, "Wish I had it." Yeah, I mean, my my solution generally in life has been uh, don't live in shitty places but like like where bad things constantly happen uh but uh you know those are going to be fewer and far between now i'm not because i'm not moving out to the country so you know um yeah i'm gonna have to be more careful with stuff so it's you know i think a lesson where a lot of people are gonna have to learn well in a lot of those nicer areas they're targets you know and uh people have a false sense of security like some of the highest breaking rates are in gated communities because they can just either go around or jump the fence and then you know uh, so yeah, it's definitely one of those things that is unfortunate, but I, I do think you're right. I mean, as we look at like interest rates, um, uh, in the middle of buying a, a property right now, it's interest rates have jumped higher, uh, quicker than they have since 08. Uh, and so and they're not showing any sign of slowing down. And so I think our economy is, there's going to be a massive whiplash effect that's just been delayed from the, you know, the last two years of nonsense with COVID right. and we're going to, we're going to feel the effects pretty, pretty hard. And just like you said, the desperation breeds 
you know, desperate men will do risky things um, in order to, to try to either get ahead or provide or whatever. And they're going to make some bad decisions. Absolutely. But Hey Jack, we really appreciate your time. Um, We'd love to have you back on in the future, maybe talk about becoming a barbarian and some of your other works. And it'd be a great uh, excuse for me to reread them and and brush up. I'm really looking forward to your new one, uh, Fire in the Dark. You want to kind of shout that one out a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. It came out last year. uh, And uh, I think it's probably the the Way of Men is the most important book I've ever written. And and, uh, maybe Fire in the Book in the Dark is the best because, you know, know, I I was older and smarter. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've, I did a lot of research for that as well. It's kind of technical in a lot of places. Um, but it's really, you know, based on this idea that, uh, Nietzsche talked about, uh, you know, when he, when he said God is dead, um, you know, everybody's like, it, it just makes Christians mad. And it's not really what it was not really what he was saying. He was saying that like all the consensus has fallen apart in society. Like we don't have this consensus that we used to have. And that is, then it creates confusion and chaos. And, uh, and, and he has this quote, like God is dead and we have killed him. And, you know, like what, what, what festivals will we have to create? What like rituals will we have to recreate, create to replace it. And I think that we are at a point of history where we can see all of like everything that you, that we, that we talked about as far as like one thing evolved into another thing. And this story became that story. And this language became that language and things blew. And we can see that people have never been able to see that in all of history. And so rather than like try and go back and recapture this one, like basically snapshot in history, which is what most religions are is like, they're a snapshot from a period in time that's already passed. Um, you know, maybe we need to, now look at this bigger picture that we have and you know, reconfigure, like relook at the, all these ideas and bring them back together again. Uh, Cause we can see them all and we can, we can't really bullshit ourselves that like this didn't happen. And this, you know, there's that flood myth. And then there's the one that happened a thousand years before that. And there's, you know, we can see all of it. So let's look at the big picture uh, rather than trying to go back and grab a snapshot from one place or another. So it's a, it's, it's a really, I think, interesting, it goes back to the idea of the perimeter and this kind of campfire. And that's what the fire in the dark is like, what, you know, what did that, that, that order that they created in, in the darkness, um, how does that affect the ideas of archetypes and gods and myths and so forth? And so that's, I think it's a really kind of poetic and interesting book. So, uh, I'm excited about it. And obviously, like I said, the way of men, you can now order the the hardcover on Amazon. I'm going to sell some signed copies. I think in a, in a couple months, I have to order them, but, uh, um, that is, that is out now. And so it has my new afterword and it has violence is golden in it. And it has, uh, the no man's land as well. Violence is golden is another one of those, uh, as a soldier that, you know, really stuck out when I was younger. I think I actually read that before. I think that's what led me to way of men. Like that was like going around with the army guys. Somebody handed it to me or, um, I think I actually read it on a Facebook post, but you know, that was, that one's really good as it's well. It's really simple. And it's really, uh, it has a misleading type title because, uh, it makes you think that I'm like this guy who thinks he's a badass, being like, I love violence. And it's, you know, like I want to be a warlord. And, uh, that's not really what it's about. I mean, it's like about understanding how the world actually works and, uh, that violence is actually part of it, whether we like it or not. And, uh, it was just me figuring that out. And so I, I think it's a really one of the most popular things I've ever written. And I think I really need to sit down and do a YouTube video on it 
uh, you know, just read it, you know, at some point, cause people, people like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an important one. Well, thanks again, Jack. We really appreciate you coming on in your time. We hope to do this awesome, again man. soon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Everybody. Thanks again for listening to the hunt lifty podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.